Chapter 11 Convergence The next few seconds feel... off. Far away. In them, Tim collects his sneakers and his pitchfork. He scans his surroundings. There's a stone floor, a purple glow, a blood trail smeared, a corpse, male. Detached, surprised at this last one, the corpse was Tim's landing pad, maybe the only thing that kept his head from being bashed in by the stone floor. More than maybe, looks like the man's head has turned rather mushy. He's the control group to Tim's how-well-can-a-human-body-cushion-my-fall experiment. Ooh, thinks Tim, unimpressed. More dead things. The trap door is closed now, and there are no shapes in the three square indents. But Tim doesn't dwell on it. He hears sounds, shuffling, a loud click, and a shout. Tim runs, rolling through shadows with the boldness of a drunk. Long, inebriated blinks give everything a slow-motion strobe, but Tim knows where he's going. There's a trail, after all, and the blood from his ruined thumb adds a second one. Rounding a corner, Tim is treated to a spurt of light some distance away. It helps him see where he's headed. More cave. More blood trail. Other details he can't make out. Not all that helpful, really. He thinks. Who's clicking and skittering? Another flash of light. Another pointless still life of rocks and blurry shapes. Scraping, grunting, a squelch, and a thud. None of these sounds are descriptive. Tim complains. A sickening rip and silence. The only sounds now are of Tim's heavy footfalls, his panting, and the echo of that panting against the wall. The echo changes rhythm. It's not an echo. As Tim crosses open ground, losing track of all walls, there's a wet sound, cutting or tearing. There's shuffling, the wheeze of cloth on cloth, like clothes moving. And then, Tim hears a sigh. It is human. How big is this fucking cave? Tim thinks. All of this is just stupid. It's taking too long. But then there's a wall, and Tim throws up his hands just in time to slap them, hard, against the cool stone, bringing himself to an abrupt halt. In the aftermath of a full tilt run, Tim is panting heavily. His shoeless feet ache. He leans against the wall, letting his pitchfork do the same. After a moment, Tim looks up. He sees Daniel. Daniel is wearing a t-shirt, brown pants, and a brown belt. His pants and the bottom half of his shirt are more blood than cloth, and new blood is oozing from a nasty gash in his right upper thigh. It's clear to Tim that the source of the blood trail has been found. There is a large bandage wrapped around Daniel's abdomen. It's made of a piece of button-down shirt and a length of slimy rope. In addition to the blood, Daniel's clothes are specked with black liquid, and his arms are coated in it. All in all, the top part of Daniel's t-shirt is the only area of him that's remotely clean. Daniel is clutching a sharp rock in his right hand and a shield-like object in his left. Three additional such objects are hanging from the drawstrings of a large leather backpack that Daniel is wearing. 
Daniel is standing over two corpses, both of which have the body structure of beetles. Really, really big beetles. A third is lying on the ground between Tim and Daniel. Tim's eyes are drawn to Daniel's left hand. There's a blood-soaked bandage wrapped around his thumb. Sorry to hear about your finger, says Daniel. Apparently between the two of us we can paint the whole cave red. That way's a dead end. I started there. Daniel points behind Tim. I'm assuming there's a similar dead end around the corner in that direction, since you came from there. And so after I carve open the scarab, I plan on moving along this wall. Daniel gestures into the darkness toward a tiny spark far down the corridor. Tim stares open-mouthed, still addled and out of breath. If you want, I can give you a carapace. Daniel continues. It works well as a shield. And once we get out of the cave, let's take stock of our situation. No words come forth for several long seconds, much as Tim tries to summon them. Daniel stands still, bleeding patiently. For Tim, it feels like eons have passed since he saw another living person, and now that there is one before him, he can hardly believe he's real. Daniel's presence begins pulling Tim from his days, making it vital to sober up, or at least fake it as hard as he can. There is so much wrong with this moment, with the past few hours, and seeing something from Tim's past life, his real life, before all this, that makes that wrongness stand out more than ever. Tim's first coherent thought is that he's probably concussed, but there are countless other questions, things that are on the verge of making sense that need only Daniel's half of the story to be complete. Where to start? Tim has no idea. Daniel said something a moment ago, but Tim doesn't remember what it was. Do you have any food? Tim finally manages. <laughs>